G'day guys, welcome to um, Pushing Rubber Podcast episode 97. I'm sitting here now with my cat sitting on my seat behind me, trying to stay warm. It's a cold old November afternoon on a Sunday here in Holland. Um, Just finished a nice roast chicken lunch, glass of white wine here, which I've almost finished. Fucking hell, I probably should have replenished this. for the podcast that's all right i'll i'll chat i can chat here for 30 or 40 minutes and then go replenish it after that it'll be it'll be a a a hard one drink it's more difficult than you might appreciate to sit and talk for 40 minutes and try and uh, remain coherent and on topic um how do i do it cocaine obviously um no money key the cat uses cocaine, not me. Stop it. Cat, stop it. Right. Um, news from the marriage wars. Um, not much to tell you, apart from I'm doing well. And I'm probably in the acceptance phase now of the whole, oh, what is it, the grieving process. Um, and just want to get on with it and get it all sorted and get it done. No more mucking around now. Um, tried to uh, tried to re um, recover the situation, but uh, well, there's stubborn women, and then there's Dutch women, and then there's my ex-wife. <laughs> my ex-wife, that's got a ring to it. <laughs> um, but I'm doing I'm doing well. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be bad days down the line, but. Um, uh, it's been five weeks now, more or less, and uh, yeah, okay, it is what it is. It's all fine. Um, so now I now I move onwards and upwards because it doesn't get it doesn't get much below this point. Um, well, I suppose it could get below this point quite easily. Let's be honest, but at this point, it's not touch wood. So I just want to get everything sorted out now and um, and uh, get on with it. Should be in the US early January. Down there in Louisiana, um, which I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to in some aspects. I'm not looking forward to in others, in the sense that, yeah, we're going to be living out of a bag again. But that's okay. I accept that for the next 12 months or so. It's going to be living out of a bag. And then I'll work out where I'm going to put uh, my Fortress of Solitude. And that's where it's going to be. Um, as regards to women, wow, just completely uninterested at the moment. Not even not even thinking about it. Um, had a few... Uh, conversations with people regarding this topic um for me now uh, i don't think i consider anyone over 25 any woman over 25 and i much prefer them to be 18 as brutally honest um i'm just not interested in um in taking on uh, baggage bad experiences and poor choices um and the older older they are the more they've done that and if they and if they hadn't done that, they'd be married with kids, wouldn't they? So I'm not. I'm just not interested in it. Um, so uh, I know how well the Australian accent goes in North America because I've been there, been to Canada. I I know uh, how well it goes, and from what I hear, that hasn't that hasn't gone down much at all. So it should be an interesting social experiment. I had a uh, someone email me about that today. Um, and I think it will be because I'm just going to observe. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even interested in 
in one night stands with a skanky hose because they're skanky hose and I'm not interested in it. I really am not. I'm not interested in seeking rational reasons for uh, what's gone down because there are no rational reasons for what's gone down because uh, women rationalise their behaviour. Um, look, Kat, I'm trying to do a podcast and as much as you might want to do your bathroom sitting behind me on the chair, it ain't happening. Piss off. Um, so, yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, that's going to be the next 12 months. I am looking at laptops. Thanks for all the suggestions on that because I will need something that I can continue uh, to podcast. Obviously, uh, composing my epic screeds in a writing form is not an issue with, with, with uh, that. But uh, to be able to pump this out, I think it is. Um, I'd like to be able to do a more professional job. Um, but at this point, I just don't really have the inclination, energy, time or... Uh, anything like that. Um, uh, I did a I did an article today about the um, implosion of Gavin McInnes with his uh, disavowal of his own <laughs> Proud Boys organisation, which he set up himself. But I'm not the leader, man. I'm not the leader. I, I only set it up. <laughs> okay, dude. <laughs> okay, man. Whatever, whatever you believe. Uh, hilarious. Hilarious. Trying to stay edgy. Good old Gav. Um... Uh, I think the edgiest Gav got was when he uh, sucked face with Milo. And these days, that's not edgy, dude. i tell you what's edgy these days. Not sucking face with a bloke if you're, if you're a guy. That's edgy. Actually, what's edgy is, uh, is actually pouring scorn on someone, sucking face with another bloke. That's edgy these days, mate. Anyway, um, one of the criticisms I saw of um, alt-nationalist um, commentators in general is that uh, uh, the good ones don't tend to be that slick with their production values as in their, their videos or their podcasts or that sort of thing. And I can, I can, I can, I can probably, you know, yeah, sure. Um, I, think, I think writing's my, my main gig. That's what I've always been good at. Um, although I do have excellent hair, so maybe I should do the YouTube thing. Um, not sure about that. I do know another thing though. I, don't, I haven't got any kids, and the wife's walked out on me, so I'm pretty well bomb-proof at this point, which is an interesting idea when you think about it. Um, so yeah, maybe it's all for the best. Who knows? Who knows how things work? Things tend to work in a funny old way. I don't know. Um. I can also say honestly that in the past I have pulled back, uh, and I don't like to admit this, but I will, I have pulled back on some topics out of consideration uh, of my wife at the time. Um, not because she would have said anything, but because I just, I just didn't want to put her in a position where she might be uncomfortable because it is my name out there. Um, and because she, she never once pulled me up on anything I ever wrote about the whole time we were together. Um, but, uh, so that's, I think, blessing in disguise, who knows, who knows, who knows guys, who knows, um, so, yeah, that's that, um, I had a, uh, interesting day yesterday, I had a great day yesterday, I had the best day yesterday that I've had since I've been in Holland, and one of the best days ever, um, I went hunting for the first time in my life, and I've always... I've always had an interest in it. I've always wanted to do it. Um, I uh, I didn't grow up. 
I grew up in a uh, urban environment, so it was never really an, an option for me. And and, and, and the gun culture is not a big thing in Australia generally, and definitely Jeff definitely not post nineteen ninety six. Um, but uh. I've always had interest in it. I've always loved the idea because it combines elements of a lot of things that I love. Uh, and yesterday I finally got the opportunity. So um, a guy that I work with, um, he's a member of a um, a very small and, and select club. Um, and they basically um, pay a sum of money to some local, to some farmers in, in an area of Holland. And they have the rights to shoot on the farmer's fields. And they hunt hare and pheasant and duck and that sort of thing. Uh, and they've constructed a beautiful little 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 hunting cabin, uh, just a little three room one, um, on one of the farmers' um, properties. And um, yesterday we drove up in the morning. It was perfect. It was perfect weather for hunting, as far as I was concerned. Or stomping around in a muddy field. It was just one degree above zero. Uh, so I was decked out in the thermal underwear and I had the big gum boots on and my really and a nice uh, bomber old bomber leather jacket the one I used to wear up in um, it's an old um, there was a, an old clothing brand called Marlborough Classics and in uh, the two thousands the early two thousands they were really doing fantastic clothing kind of modelled on uh, you know like Marlborough Man that's where they got the name from um, Western Wyoming kind of country sort of stuff but in a in an upmarket sort of style. And their clothing, they were basically, they sold it there as the clothing, the longer you had it, the better it got, particularly leather jackets and stuff like that. And I got this grey, grey heavy leather jacket, like a real outdoor jacket um, off them, um, probably about 10 years ago. And it's just, just a great jacket. Uh, the clothing brand doesn't exist anymore. I think it exists in name only, but it's, it's, it's really just a joke. But back then they had some really, really good pieces. Uh, and I picked this one up. Um, and so I wore that yesterday. And we drove up there. And uh, there's about 14 guys there. I, th I suppose averaging in ages from mid-70s down to mid-30s. Um, and all professionals and all... All very comfortable with themselves as guys, and they were they're all Dutchies. So there was a, a a guy from Britain there, from England, um, and they've had Amer an American go as well. But I was their first Australian, and uh, my colleague had warned them that I was coming up. Um, and so we got up there. I was up in the north of Holland, and uh, drove up in my mate's uh, Jeep Cherokee, nineteen ninety seven, V six great old jeep when jeep did proper jeeps not like the the, the the horrible shitty vehicles that they do these days god almighty i look like i think i think jeep these days look like looks like a retarded citron and that's saying something um but drove up there and uh rocked up the the hut's got like a little you enter in the in the center is like straight in the door is a little tiny little kitchen and off on the right hand side the little storeroom and the left left hand side is the the main room and uh wood burning stove roaring away at ten o'clock in the morning. A big bench table with bench seating all around the sides and then, and then chairs on the other side and and guys are in there and smoking cigars and, and my colleague had warned me that they were cigar smokers, so I'd taken up a nice Cuban. No, a nice Dominican Republic. I took up a Padon three thousand. Um, 
sat down, cup of coffee, cigar at 10 o'clock in the morning. Gee, it's one of the nicest cigars I've had because it was a cigar with a purpose. Um, and I've missed that, actually, in the last few years. Um, and I'm going to take I'm going to take the positives from this breakup. I'm going to take the positives. Uh, there's there's definitely there's definitely negatives, but I'm going to take the positives. I get uh, I'm 47 and I'm at the top of my game as a man, um, and I get to now go on on my own and do it exactly the way I want to do it, exactly the way I want to do it. Uh, and my wife never held me back in that sense, but you hold yourself naturally back. Um, it was really great yesterday, driving away from home in the morning. As I left pretty early, I left about eight, uh, which actually isn't early. I mean, I leave at six in the morning to go to work, but, uh, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the roads were pretty pretty bare. Uh, and I got the nice new Mercedes that I picked up a couple of months ago, but I've never really... I've just been using it for work. I haven't actually taken it out for a purpose, and this one was a purpose. So I had to drive up to uh, my colleague's house, which is about 40 minutes away from me. It was just really nice to be out on the road in a nice car, with a purpose, going to do my first hunt, better than that. Anyway, we rocked up there and sat down, pulled out a cigar, and there's a really old guy, he's an old uh, oil and gas welder, and he's he's uh, a real character, and I, I could tell right from the outset he was the guy that I had to, I had to get on with. He was the guy that was gonna decide, and he wasn't even a shooter, he was a beater. But he was the head beater and he knew exactly what. The beaters are the ones that flush out the game for the shooters. So very important for what's going on. And uh, I knew that I had to have him on side. And so what I did was I didn't push it. I just, uh, polite, affable, comfortable. And definitely not mouthing off. Definitely not big moding myself. But not sitting there silent in the corner either. It's a, it's a balancing act. You're amongst, you're amongst professional men who are comfortable with themselves and you're in you're in their environment i was guest um it's always a nice little challenge this one and i enjoy it um and uh it went it went very well we got on famously um by mid-morning he basically started offering me cigars and at that point i knew i knew all was well in the world um so we went out and we were hunting hare uh so we drove in a convoy down about a kilometer away to a paddock and pulled up and the older shooters, I think there were more shooters than beaters. I, of course, was a beater because, A, I don't really know how to shoot. I've never been taught. I've never learned. Um, and, B, getting your license in Holland is quite tricky. You've got to uh, – it's about a 10-month course, um, and you've got to do a full exam, theoretical exam, on every tree, plant, bush, shrub, bird, animal, dropping – uh, weather pattern, you name it. And it's all in Dutch. You can't do it in English. Um, which is actually pretty good motivation for me to get off my ass and start learning the Dutch properly. Though it's starting to get there, to be honest with you. I'm starting to uh, really get it now. Um, and uh, and then you've got two... Um, you've got two exams. On both exams, you've got to use uh, 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 a, a spreadshot or a buckshot uh, and 
an ac- a rifle, you know, bullet accuracy sort of stuff. And I think clay pigeons, you've got to hit 18 out of 25. Uh, I'm not sure about the bullseye one. And then the third practical, the second thing, or the second practical, which is the third thing, you've got to, it's a safety shooting. So they'll, you'll be walking along a Lara Prath and from the left, for example, up will come a, a clay pigeon and you track it across and then they'll suddenly get a person to pop up representing a beater or something like that in your way and you've got to pull the shot uh so it's a safety one and you have to you have to you have to take you have to get six hits so you can't just pull your shot every time um so of course i'm not shooting i was beating yesterday so we walked um and everyone was everyone's wearing like uh, tweed and green you know really smart sort of english shooting stuff but in a in a casual dutch way um and they all had beautiful guns um i I don't know that much about guns but i I do know craftsmanship when i see it these guys had had lovely weapons um and so we the older shooters stayed at the bottom of the field and we trudged up the side of the field and it was cold like like i said it was just it was just a one degree above zero and it wasn't overclass but it was very very um it was a very low mist, low fog that was lifting. It was about 10.30 by the time we got out there. And the field was about, probably about 800 metres long and about half a kilometre wide. Um, and we spread out along the field with, with a, a shooter on either end, far end, and a few shooters uh, in the middle parts with beaters all between them. So I think we had eight shooters and six beaters, and I was a beater. So I had a big long stick, um, hand uh, hand whittled, and um, we set out in the field. The field was was flat and ploughed, uh, and I had no idea. Uh, to me, looking at the field, we weren't going to get shit, because <laughs> because uh, I couldn't see anything. Um, now rabbits dig burrows, but hares don't dig burrows. They just um, they scoop out very shallow depressions, and that's where they hang out. So they're at, they're actually exposed to the elements for their entire life, which is why a baby hare can can run an hour after it's born because it has to, otherwise the predators are going to get it. Um, so we start off, and we're going along, and we're beating. And suddenly, I see this enormous hare. I mean, it was the size of a like a small, medium-sized dog, for God's sake, like a small border collie. It was probably about that big goes for it, running away for us. Um, gee, they were brilliantly camouflaged, these hair. <laughs> uh, and when you had to shout, I learned some Dutch, har four. Har four means hair going forward. You've spotted one. And you'd point with your stick, with your beating stick, in the direction. Um... And at one point, I was, I'd been looking at this, this uh, mound on the ground probably for a few minutes, probably about five minutes as we got closer and closer. And it, it just struck me as being a bit weird, but I hadn't, hadn't pinpointed it yet. And then I suddenly realised, I looked at it and I realised that the stone, the round white stone that I thought I was looking at was the eye of the hair that was fixated on me. And it's the females. The females just hunker down. Um, and so I pointed my stick at it and I, I, I called uh, to the shooter on my left, who was actually the master of the hunt, and I, and I called him. I said, half, I said, it's not half four, but there's, 
there's a hair right there. Picked up a bit of, uh, one of the other guys picked up a bit of uh, dirt and threw it in its general direction. Sure enough, bang, it was off. Um, so that was good. So I proven I had a good eye. Um, and we walked very slowly across the field. We took it very, very slowly indeed. And uh, they bagged, they bagged four hair on the first, the first walkthrough. And they were very sporting. Like if the hare, if a hare had the courage to run directly towards our line and through us, uh, the shooters did not take the hare out from behind. If the hare got through, then the hare was allowed to go because the hare had had the guts to do it. Um, but we picked a couple of hare off on our own line, and then a couple of hare were picked off that were driven towards the shooters waiting down the bottom of the field. So that was a lot of fun. And then we, we it was about one o'clock and we stopped and they opened up the side of the cars and one of the guys had prepared a lovely bouillon soup, um, chicken and mushroom soup with uh, just the stock, just the, the, the broth with star anise, um, five spices and some other herbs. And we, it was lovely, just the right temperature, nice and hot and we drank that down and ate big clumps of cheese and sausage, and uh, and then we headed up to the the very next field. This field, if I thought there were a lot of hair on the first field, this here, this this field was full of them. So we're basically doing pest control for the local farmers because they really are a, a nuisance. Um, this one, this one, we got seven, and I actually almost stepped on one of the bastards. Um, he was that well camouflaged. Though in my defence, there were there were furrows in this field, so they they had depressions to get down into. Um, but they really do camouflage themselves well. I can't tell you how enjoyable it was to be out stomping around in a really muddy field um, with purpose. As bushwalking has always been a big thing in Australia, but I've I've never really got into it because I. I only enjoy, enjoy being out there if there's, if there's a good reason to be out there. And yesterday there was a fantastic reason to be out there. It was my first hunt. And gee, I had a great time. I was just grinning, grinning from ear to ear. So we finished up around three, went back to the little uh, hunting hut, the shooter's hut, where uh, there's an Indone in older Indonesian shooter quickly prepared a, uh, a combination of... Uh, um, roast chicken wings and this come uh, some sort of Indonesian dish. It was lovely. It was absolutely lovely. Red wine. I'd taken along a couple of bottles of Italian red from my cellar, um, and just fourteen of us at a long table, and really easy, lovely, lovely fellas to talk to. Um, made me feel so welcome and of course you know topic conversation what are you doing in Holland how long are you going to stay here rah, rah, rah. and of course well moved here with the wife she walked out on me four weeks ago rah, rah, rah. no no feeling sorry or all that sort of thing just you know okay you're going to stay in Holland yep oh, brilliant how are you doing that for the work permit you know got the UK passport rah, rah, rah. Um, so just a real convivial 
atmosphere in the company of, of men, which God Almighty is exactly what I needed. It was just, just a great day. And then uh, we finished the meal and we trooped outside and they had a ceremony for the hunt. So they laid the hairs out. The hairs had been hanging up on, uh, on sticks there and uh, spread them out on the ground. They did it in a particular pattern. I wasn't sure what the, what the meaning of the pattern was. Um, and then they gave thanks. The, the hunt master gave thanks for, for the hares and for the hares um, giving themselves up and letting us enjoy the bounty of, um, of, of, of consuming them and, 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 and eating them and how important that was. And, and then everyone, uh, then, then people got offered a hare and people could accept it or refuse it. And I got offered a hare as their first Australian, so I, I graciously accepted it. I, I, I thought it would be rude not to. Um, and I passed it on to my colleague um, on the way back, my, my colleague's a lovely guy, a bit younger than me, but grew up on the islands, and he knows how to hunt, he knows how to, how to prepare a hare, how to skin it, all the rest of it. But we had, uh, we had three, and so on the way back, we, we stopped into his local butcher, which had already closed, but uh, he went in the back door, they were closing up on the Saturday, and three hares, bang, bang, bang. We'll pick them up on Tuesday, thanks very much. Because uh, a bit too much work for him to dress three hares. Um, with a full-time job and two young kids and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, so I, got, I probably got home about 7 o'clock or something like that last night. What a wonderful day. And, and the best part, because it was a real privilege to be there as part of such a, a select group where you're only going to get in by invitation. Um, and I, don't, I didn't want to impose or intrude on my colleague. It's his thing, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to presume, um, but they were all quite insistent that I come back again. Uh, they're not going to be doing it next week because a bunch of them are off to Scotland to go hunting there, but the, the 8th of December, um, I pretty well have to go, and, and, and I'll be chafing at the bit. I absolutely can't wait to go up. I think it'll be absolutely brilliant. Um, and... Uh, yeah, they were, they were really, really insistent that I come back, which is um, which is really nice, really, really nice indeed. So, yeah, probably the best day I've had in Holland in all in all seriousness, and the best day I've had in a very long time. Um, in the company of of men, other men who are who are quietly confident in everything they've achieved in life, um, out in the outside. Um, in, in the beautiful Dutch landscape, I, I, I love the Dutch landscape. I really rate it. I think it's uh, incredibly underappreciated just how good it actually is. Um, beautiful landscape. And it was just wonderful to be out there in the cold. Love the low temperatures. Just love stomping around in low temperatures. There's nothing quite like it. That's, the real, that's the real, one of the real drawbacks of Australia. You know, you can go bush as much as you want, but when you're stomping around in 40 degrees Celsius, um, it does wear thin very quickly, let me tell you. But one degree above zero, that's, that's about perfect as far as I'm concerned. If you, as long as you dress for it, of course, which I was. So, great fun. Just great fun. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I went on my first hunt. 
Brilliant. Brilliant. So that was uh, that was my day. Yeah, that was my day yesterday. Um, any of you with a hunting background, feel free to. I'm sure many of you do. Feel free to chime in um, in the comments, and I think I did okay as a beater. I did well. I kept uh, I kept up enough noise and movement, and am watching very carefully and calling out half or as often as I could and not and not getting in the way of the shot which is also very important you've got to stay in line um, and make sure you're not putting yourself moving away that the hair that you direct the hair that's running towards you towards the shooter so they get that beautiful running arc shot where they can where they can tumble the hair down into the ground shoot it in the head uh, and then you got no, you got no steel pellets through the rest of the body. Um, so I, I think I did okay, which I'm very, very, very happy about. Um, all right. Um, so I just want to go to a comment. I did um, on my blog. I did a piece, "Fathers Teach Your Sons," this week about how the importance of fathers to teach your sons and the fact that the boomer generation didn't do that. The boomer generation of fathers not only didn't teach their sons, but then mocked them when their sons didn't know how to do stuff like look after the family car or something like that. And it got a lot of comments and uh, and a lot of good comments, a lot of people in agreement. Um, and there was a comment by Gunner Q, um, who took it the next step. When I thought this was really interesting. Um, uh, so I'm, I want to read his comment and have a little chalk about it. My dad was a good provider but didn't teach me much in life skills. I don't blame him. He didn't have many of those skills to pass on and I was smart enough to figure out almost everything but girls. What hurts me is the same attitude as in the boomers not passing on skills, replicating itself in the business world. I was 28 years old before getting my first full-time non-seasonal job and that hurt. I made the mistake of training for a career in insurance when the industry was trying as hard as it could to justify its endless H-1B visa abuse and a white male wanting a job with them was a problem to be concealed, as I found out in hindsight. Even when I finally got a non-insurance career going, my superiors were not interested in mentorship. The most they did was pay for continuing ed classes because those cost them nothing, being tax write-off, write-offs. Even today, as a fully credentialed professional, I wish I could occasionally take a potential problem to somebody more experienced just to ensure it doesn't turn into a real problem or get experience in the profession other than my specific day-to-day tasks. I can teach myself out of a book, that's great, but when it comes to dealing with other people and avoiding the pitfalls of inexperience, book learning is not enough. Someday I'll be thrust into a position of real power with a patchwork background of incredible skill and unjustifiable ignorance and praying to God to help me swim because if I can't make it work, then nobody can. It never seems to occur to, quote, those of a certain age, unquote, that I'm going to replace them regardless of their plan to work forever. Whoever even wants to do that, I hope when I'm 70 years old, I get to spend half my day training my successes and the other half lounging on the beach while they make me money. I want to train the next generation. There's no greater honour for a Christian than to be a critical influence in the life of an immortal soul while he's young. I can't have children, but I can still have apprentices. But the workplace boomers want to work 60 hours a week until they keel over at the desk with no successor. 
At least during all the economic slumps, I've learned to wander outside and enjoy life. Even among my peers, I'm the only guy who takes vacations. I just thought that was a great comment. And it's so true, you know. What, what the boomers are doing in their private lives with their families, they do in their professional lives as well. And I'll take it one, one step further. Uh, the boomers in their professional lives have practiced what I call salting the earth behind them. So as the, as the boomers have progressed through the stages of their careers, up the steps of the ladder... Once they've got through, in general, a certain phase, maybe they've been at the point where they're um, contract supervisors or something like that, but now they've stepped up to a more a higher managerial position, then what they do is they salt the earth behind them. And they do that by by not mentoring the guys behind them, and even worse, once they're free and clear and onto the next stage, they farm out those roles to consultancy, for, to external firms. They literally salt the earth behind them. They've, the boomers professionally have been climbing a ladder that's always existed, but as they've climbed the ladder, they've cut the ladder off behind them so no one else has the potential to climb up as well. And this is most prominent in countries that follow the American managerialism uh, style of management. And Australia has adopted the American managerialism style um, completely, which is a great shame. Um, and the American managerialism style is, is one of hierarchy. And the higher that you are on the totem pole, then the better you are. And what better way to never be threatened than to chop the totem pole off below you so no one can get you. And this is why the whole H, H1B visa uh, abuse has been going on because it benefits them in, in multiple ways and the biggest way it benefits them is no competition no one from generation x who's coming up to take their job because how can they when they've eliminated that position below them and they've done this every step of the way it's absolutely amazing when you look at it absolutely amazing horrific um they really are the most selfish generation in history and i and i and i i am rising in my contempt of them uh, a year or so ago i was not nearly as contemptuous of the boomer generation and i was a little little bit hard on people who were but more and more and more i'm starting to really open my eyes to how bad they are you know as vox day said it was a running joke that they want to that, that the boomers eventually would run around going saying that 70 is the new sexy, and then they went and did it. They're going to be in a real shock when they're in nursing, in a position to be looked after, because no one is going to want to fucking look after these guys. They, they had better start top, topping themselves at an exponential rate, I can tell you right now. So the American managerialism style is really... Um, uh, susceptible to this boomer um, self-destructive behaviour. 
the European management style is is more egalitarian. So to give you an example, all right, if you if you're American or Australian, if you're Anglo-Saxon basically, and listen to this, and you're wondering what mainland European managerial style is like outside of France, because France is a, uh, I'm talking, I'm talking Northern European, I'm talking Germany, Holland, uh, up into Denmark, that sort of thing. And, and that's basically an egalitarian style. So a typical manager here, so we've got a new, you're a new employee, been employed, you've got a company, you've been employed, rah, 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 and you have a, and you have a, a sit down with your new manager and the manager says, this is what I expect of you as an employee. And so far, so good. But what, what the Dutch manager will do then is turn around and say to the employee, and what do you expect of me? as your manager. What is your expectation of me? That's what they'll say. And it's a very uh, egalitarian way of working. Um, the Italians don't have it. The Italians are a kind of a, a crossbreed mutant mix where your profession becomes your identity in the sense that I was called, because um, uh, I was uh, uh, an English consultant kind of doing high-level work with companies there. I was, and, and doing a lot of training and teaching and that sort of thing. I was known as Professore, Professor. So it was Professore. That, that, that was how they greeted me. That was how I was greeted in a bar, in my local bar, Professore. Everyone knew what I did. So a doctor would be Dottore. An engineer would be Ingegnere. A lawyer would be um, Avvocato. Um... That's the greeting. So it's hierarchical in a different way. Um, but the boomers in the manage, American managerial style business world have absolutely salted the earth behind them in every sense. Um, the very idea of a boomer mentor is um, completely alien. The last thing that a boomer is going to be is a mentor. And I think professionally, looking back on it, because I've been stuck with boomer management for most of my working career, and it really has been the pits. It really has been utter shit in every way. And I just thought that I was not suited to working life. But when you look at it with your new eyes open, holy crap. Holy crap, they really have been a pestilence on the earth and I just can't wait for all of them to die off. It really will be will be a rebirth for the world, I think, in many, 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 many ways when the boomers die off. Um, people will be lying, lying in the streets singing hallelujah is all I can say. Um, so there you go. Thanks, Gunner Q, for that great comment. Um, absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, the comments on the blog have been going really well. I've been getting quite... They've definitely... We've jumped up on the number of comments. More and more people are commenting, which is great. Um, I had someone email me today and, with, 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 with the observation that... They're talking about a specific article and how a lot of the commenters had missed my point. Yeah, that happens a lot, which is a lot of the time why I don't engage in the comments. I just say my thing. Look, here it is. 
here it is, here's my article, here's what I'm saying. Um, and you take from that what you want from it. Um, a lot of the time, yeah, more often than not, the point is missed. Okay, that's fine, that's fine. I'm, I'm past railing at the world. If you get my point, you get my point. If you don't get my point, you don't get my point. Um, but uh, I'm grateful for every comment. Um, and it, um, it, it's, it's gratifying to see, so thank you. Uh, Shout-outs, Captain Capitalism, over at uh, Aaron Cleary, over at captaincapitalism.blogspot.com, Arsehole Consulting, YouTube channel, multiple um, podcasts, the Older Brother podcast, his standard podcast, um, lots of books, Bachelor, The Bachelor, Pad Economics, uh, Curse of the High IQ, Enjoyed the Decline, um, Batman's Guide Out of Poverty, uh, he's definitely written a lot, Apparently, he's got a new book coming out. He's been a huge uh, continual support for me. I hope to meet up with Aaron when I get to the States. Um, check out him and uh, give him your support. Um, book sales for me have gone well this month. Jumped up a bit. They've been like a bit of a gradual, steady decline. Um, but they've jumped up for November. I'm doing really probably the best month in, in a long time. So thanks for all of that. Hey, remember to leave me a, a, a review, um, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, follow my podcast. It's always most appreciated. The numbers add up. Follow the blog. That's always appreciated. The numbers add up. Pick up my books, Pushing Rubber Downhill, A Journey to Manhood via Whitewater Adventures, or Rung Up Pull Cones, A Whitewater Adventure in the Italian Alps. I will not be writing any more books about my life. That's done. I have two books in the pipeline at the moment, um, and I'm finding that I have more time for them now for various reasons. So next year I plan to have both of those books out. Um, one is a non-fiction book, and one is a fiction book, my first fiction book I'm going to publish, which is on a pretty cool subject, I think. Uh, maybe I'll get a publisher to publish it. Who knows? We'll see what's going on there. Um, so thanks for tuning in, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode, episode 97. Uh, of the Pushing Rubber podcast. Um, have a great rest of the weekend to all of you. Have a great week. And I'll talk to you again next week. Bye for now.